Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Abigail. And I'm Pax. Uh, so this week, we are currently reading through the main Spider-Gwen comics, as we have been doing for a few weeks now. Uh, last week, we read Party People. Uh, that was the last five issues, the final arc of the last run of Ghost Spider, uh, which sort of brought an end to the era of Spider-Gwen having ongoings. Uh, we saw Gwen fight the Storm siblings of Earth-65, which ended up with her getting exiled to Earth-616. Now, uh, the comic sort of ended there. And for a few months, we didn't have any Ghost Spider comics, and we sort of didn't know what was going to happen. We knew something was maybe coming, and this is what was coming. Uh, this is a tie-in to the King in Black event, uh, which was Donny Cates' and Ryan Stegman's big sort of final, ultimate end to their Venom run. This comic is done by Shauna Maguire, who's sort of picking up where she finished writing in the previous arc. Uh, it's being drawn by Flaviano. It's got one bit by Iguara as well. And it's being colored by Rico Renzi, who is returning from the original Spider-Gwen run, the only, uh, as far as I'm, as far as we're aware, non-problematic member of that original three uh, creators. And all the links on where to buy and what to read, uh, we're going to put that in the descriptions or uh, we've got the reading list the full reading list of all the spider-man comics and there's a little bit on that about where to look for to buy and read stuff all of this is on marvel unlimited now it's probably the cheapest place to get it legally speaking um we're also going to link to comiXology where you can see what this particular book looks like it's collected as a trade paperback as a guanam versus kind of trade paperback but it's also collected alongside like scream and spider-man uh, tie-ins from this same event as well which are good the good ones just something to note but we're not looking at those we're just looking at king and black gwen versus carnage numbers one to three um and we recommend that you read that before listening to this podcast here and just to give a little bit of background to king and black if anyone's not familiar with it or just jumping in blind so at the end of absolute carnage after Carnage collected all of the codices necessary to revive Null, he died because Eddie Brock Venom killed him, which resulted in Null's freedom from his imprisonment on planet Clintar. So he practically destroyed the planet, freeing all of the symbiotes that were encasing him, and then just started making his way towards the Earth to begin his conquest, but not before destroying some other planets first. And by the time he got onto earth he covered it into a large symbiote dome just so nothing can get in and nothing can get out but also at the same time he made it rain symbiotes just to infect some heroes and villains to induct into his army along with setting up his hq atop of empire state building and he also successfully killed eddie brock too like at the end of issue number two so Timeline-wise, it makes the most sense that Gwenum versus Carnage took place after issue number two. Yeah, um, Eddie gets a rough time of it. So, like, uh, there's this sort of cosmic escalation, right? Like, it goes from the like absolute Carnage, which is a lot smaller scale, along similar similar lines, but it's it's smaller in terms of its scope and and what's happening. But this sort of has a planet destroying edge to it. Null has destroyed other planets, but he's got like a specific thing he needs to do on Earth. Like he needs to get Dylan or whatever. So like, so it's sort of he's like keeping it in this state for a bit, right? Which is where all this is sort of occurring. So people are getting nullified, right? Which is where they get Venom symbiote gooped, but they get null stuff. And sometimes their face 
remains, but very smiley. And there's a spiral. It's a different look. It's a different... Am I describing this well enough? Um, It kind of depends on who are the artists in each of these tie-ins, because uh, Nell's foot soldiers kind of look different depending on the book. Sometimes they look like the way that Miles Morales looked back in Abscarn. Sometimes they look like... I'm just going to say Null Jr. because... Like, without his hair, they look like they have visors, and then they have his spiral and his dragon logo. Yeah, they they sort of get the uniform, and they have the, like, their facial features get contorted sometimes. With Flaviano, who does the art here, he's doing it where uh, they have, like, little hazmat-looking helmets on, which are neat. I think if I remember correctly, the hazmat-looking style also was utilized in Sword. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, it's an aesthetically, it's a very good looking event, like just the, the goo on all of New York and the dragons in the sky and the colors. And it's just like, there's one of the things coming through that just reading from this sort of whole event isn't necessarily anything that the writers were doing to keep it uniform, but just, just having this general look for New York that just felt, you know, like it looks really good to read, like the, the setting for it's good to, um, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, like all of them sort of have that sort of the reds and the blacks and stuff, which maps on pretty well to Gwen's comics, I think. But yeah, I liked this event. This was a good event. The Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, Venom runs really good. Noel is a really fun villain. And yeah, like I'm glad that they folded Gwen into this sort of stuff in some way. Because like, you know, we've spoken about it before, like we'd like to see Gwen and Eddie meet or something like that happen because the whole Venom stuff and the symbiotes sort of matches the genre. So, you know, it's nice to see that they included Gwen with this event and giving her her own tie-in and stuff. That's, you know, it's cool. I'm really glad for it. Yeah, it's just such a shame that they didn't really get to meet. It would have been nice, but alas, it wasn't in the cards at least that time anyway. Yeah, yeah it, it feels like they keep teasing it and then it just keeps not happening. At this era, anyway, of, of the comics, and even in these issues, I think at some places it seems like it could be a likely thing, but but yeah, um, I suppose we'll, I suppose we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah, so this is, to clarify, all of this is happening on Earth-616, except for one, like, except for flashback sequences that happen on Earth-65, so that's sort of how this rolls. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of what's happening after the, well, with the synopsis, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. And it seems like this episode is a nice way to kick off Halloween month. Yeah, it's got the right vibe. It's got the right vibe for the for the, the spooky vibes, you know? Nothing more comforting than getting eaten by symbiotes. Yeah, it's the dream. Yep. So, uh, should I start with the first paragraph of our synopsis? Yep. Yeah, so this is just getting everybody on the same page for what's happening with this comic. So we all remember what's happening. Uh, we do recommend you read it. But yeah, let's, uh, let's, this is just a summary of what happens. So uh, it begins, New York is ravaged by a horde of symbiotes and symbiote dragons under Null's control. Ghost Spider swings across the city trying to avoid being attacked by them since they don't trigger her spider sense. She hears a civilian screaming and rushes towards his direction to find him being engulfed by a symbiote. Gwen fires a web at the civilian and attempts to pull him free, only for the symbiote to break the web and engulf him completely. At this point, Gwen begins to slowly transform into her venomized form and witnesses the civilian transform into a symbiote monster. She escapes before he can attack her and returns to her dorm, noting that the Clintar has an effect on her own symbiote. Thinking that she needs a plan and to find Peter Parker, 
Gwen announces her arrival to her roommates who complain about her tardiness. She lies about what she has been doing while looking out the window spotting a symbiote dragon, not noticing that it has spotted her too. The dragon suddenly bursts into Gwen's dorm, the latter transforming into Ghost Spider while attempting to get her roommates to safety. She tries to coerce the dragon into chasing her, warning her roommates not to touch it, and races it out onto the hallway, where the dragon follows her. After stunning the dragon by throwing vending machines at it, Gwen returns to her room to find symbiote cocoons where her roommates used to be. As Gwen mourns over her inability to protect them, the dragon returns and her roommates emerge from their pods transformed into symbiote monsters. Web swinging away in an attempt to escape the dragon, Gwen decides to web up her feet to avoid direct contact with the dragon, landing on its back and using her webs to steer it into the side of a building. As she falls, Gwen thinks about turning to Peter or Miles Morales for help but decides to retreat to home, activating the ticket to the multiverse only for her to realize that something is wrong. Not very long ago on Earth-65, it is revealed that the Jackal has kidnapped Mary Jane and kept her in an abandoned barn. He tells MJ about his plan to lure Gwen back to Earth-65 by bonding her to an offshoot of Gwen's symbiote. As the symbiote bonds to MJ, she calls out for Gwen, only to disappear into an interdimensional portal, much to the Jackal's confusion. Back on Earth-616, instead of transporting Gwen to her desired location, MJ is dragged through the portal and emerges from Gwen's symbiote, much to her surprise as she knows that this is not how her necklace is supposed to work. Gwen catches MJ, but before Gwen can give her a recap, they crash land into a pool of symbiote which promptly engulfs MJ and merges with the symbiote already bonded to her. Elsewhere, through MJ, Null takes interest in the nature of Gwen's symbiote and declares his intent to acquire it. Gwen becomes fully venomized as she races to MJ's rescue, but to her utter horror, MJ bursts from her cocoon bonded to her own symbiote. She informs Gwen that the friend she knew is gone before rechristening herself after Null's favorite disciple, Carnage. Gwen tries to evaluate the gravity of the situation, wondering how MJ ended up on Earth-616 when she's supposed to be safe back home. Carnage mockingly asks Ghost Spider if Null has her tongue and pounces at her, Gwen wondering what a Null is, and dodges her attack, refocusing on saving MJ. As Gwen promises to fix her, Carnage asks if she's threatened by her new power to the point of taking it away from her. Gwen tries to warn Carnage that the symbiote will kill her, but she rebukes her warning and chastises Gwen for leaving her. Smashing her arm into the window of a music store, Carnage grabs an electric guitar and transforms it into a battle axe with her symbiote, attempting to bisect Ghost Spider. Gwen dodges her attacks and attempts to remind MJ of their friendship, but Carnage snarls that she remembers Peter Parker dying in Gwen's arm, letting the band get kidnapped by the Jackal and making Earth-65 a worse place, leaving everyone else to clean up her messes. Carnage continues her attacks, saying that she's the front woman and should have been the one to get powers, accusing Gwen of one-upping her and telling her that she's not the only one who's special anymore. Wondering if MJ has really been this resentful towards her, or if it's the symbiote talking, Gwen webs Carnage to a building and disarms her, noting that she needs to rid MJ of her spiders immediately. As Gwen attempts to absorb the spiders off the axe, they are reabsorbed by Carnage instead, who informs Gwen that her symbiote no longer belongs to her, but to Null. Freeing herself from the webbing, Carnage grabs Gwen by the ankle, thrashing her about before pinning her into a pool of symbiote, saying that Null wants to meet her. 
Inside the symbiote hive mind, Gwen plummets to the ground surrounded by monstrous symbiotes that sabotage her attempts to web-swing. Resorting to forming wings from her symbiote, Gwen tries to glide safely to the bottom, only for a tendril to destroy her wings and make her crash land. As Gwen calls out to MJ, she is instead greeted by Null, who wonders why he can't control her. She says that back home they figure out a long time ago that people can't be owned. Nell retorts that he owns MJ, revealing that she embraced his dark influence. Noticing that MJ harbored a lot of rage towards Gwen, Nell asks her if she has any idea why before offering to show her an orb containing MJ's memories. The first memory shows MJ pitching her idea about forming a band to Gwen, dismayed at the latter for not paying attention to her. The second memory shows the Mary Jane setting up their gig at prom, MJ wondering where Gwen is when suddenly, Spider-Woman and the Lizard crash into the gym brawling. She later tries to call Gwen on her phone, complaining about her tardiness and assuming that she no longer cares about their promise to be special together. Nell praises Gwen for sparking MJ's hatred towards her, adding that he would be impressed if he thought Gwen knew exactly what she was doing. As Gwen reassures that MJ is her friend, Nell says that she was, but now she belongs to him as a conduit between Gwen and himself as he crushes the orb. Nell asks Gwen if he can feel his influence over her, leading to her attempting to kick him in the face, but he grabs her, angered by her defiance in his territory. Using her free foot to kick Nell in the chin, Gwen protests that neither she nor MJ are his as Nell challenges her to prove it, casting Gwen out of the hive. Waking up in the real world, Gwen frees herself from Carnage's grip as she asks MJ if she can hear her, but Carnage reclaims her guitar, transforming it into an axe again, disregarding her humanity. Gwen begs Carnage if they can talk it out, but Carnage demands no more talking nor excuses, calling Gwen a coward for not fighting back. Provoked, Gwen yells that she's not a coward, hitting Carnage in the head, to which she retaliates with an uppercut, slamming her into a wall while snarling that Gwen's not special anymore. As Gwen claimed she never said so, Carnage angrily asks why everything has to be about her, Gwen claiming it's because MJ wants it to be that way. Gwen restrains Carnage, saying she never meant for any of this to happen and they need to fix her. Carnage snarls that she's perfect as she is, but Gwen protests that MJ's symbiote will eventually kill her, since part of it is made from Gwen's own symbiote and Gwen's the only one who is compatible due to her powers. MJ briefly regains her senses after hearing Gwen's plea, only for her symbiote to increase its influence over her, subsuming her head and face now resembling a more traditional Carnage appearance. Accusing Gwen of tricking her into depowering herself, Carnage slashes at Gwen who insists that she's telling the truth and that the nature of her symbiote is different from the Clintar. Carnage breaks up their fight, deciding that Gwen isn't worth her time anymore and departs to cause death and destruction in Null's name. As Gwen pursues Carnage across the rooftops, she reflects on how when she first got her powers, and when she bonded to her symbiote, how she didn't understand what was happening. Gwen nearly lost herself and had to work to come back. She ponders what MJ must be going through in this even more traumatic situation, and how her feelings must be overwhelming her as they get amplified by the symbiote as they did once for her. Carnage is frustrated with Gwen's pursuit, and so pauses on a rooftop to talk for a moment. She jibes at Gwen over Peter's death, saying that Gwen killed him out of selfishness for the spotlight cast on her. Gwen tries to defend her actions, but MJ not even looking up, web-slings onto a passing symbiote dragon that taxis her across the city. It's at this point that the size and scope of the hive dawns on Gwen, as she realizes that the dragons, MJ, the goo, all of the chaos is controlled by Null. 
The reason he must be after Gwen like this is because she is out of his control and doesn't belong to him. Gwen tries to appeal to MJ on the basis that she is being controlled by the suit and by extension Null, but Carnage further rebuffs this attempt, declaring her oneness with her new symbiote. Carnage disappears into an old concert hall and grabs more instruments, absorbing them into her suit. Gwen pursues, bogged down in Carnage's webbing left behind to keep Gwen back. A lone musician left behind in the building cowers from Carnage, but she webs him up, transforming him into another symbiote soldier for the hive. Gwen gets close enough to protest this action, but to no avail. After Gwen again raises that this behavior isn't her, but Null's doing, Carnage reiterates that there isn't a difference. MJ wanted the power that Null gave her that Gwen refused to share. At this, Carnage leaves to make herself a new band, slowing Gwen down with more webs. Carnage heads to Madison Square Garden, deploying the instruments she took for a new performance, and this time capturing a civilian to help with the band's performance, albeit without nullifying this one. Gwen realizes that Carnage hasn't gone out to kill or hurt anyone at this point, that she cares more about the band than she does Null's orders. It's still MJ in there. Believing that MJ can still be saved, Gwen challenges Carnage to a battle of the bands. The two former friends, playing guitar and drums respectively, play against each other. This is a ploy for Gwen to coax the symbiote spiders that split to form Carnage back to her. As the two play, this works and they disconnect from Null's hive mind while still bonded to MJ. Carnage realizes this and lunges at Gwen with her axe, but Gwen keeps her distance and exercising control over her spiders in the Carnage symbiote, uses them to purge Null's portion of the symbiote. Dodging her attacks and attempting to restrain her, Gwen keeps on trying to appeal to MJ as the Carnage symbiote disintegrates around her. Gwen vows not to leave MJ and that she needs to realize that the Carnage symbiote will kill her if they remain bonded. This works, and MJ depowers, falling unconscious into Gwen's arms. Gwen tries to open a portal to Earth-65 again, but it doesn't work at all now. She blames Null for the sabotage and says that they need to figure out how to get safe in the meantime, and how to fight a god. MJ stirs, and unbeknownst to Gwen, the null spiral of MJ's carnage symbiote swirls in one of her eyes. That's Gwen versus Carnage. That's the that's the book. And that's the last we get to see Gwen sixty five canonically for a while. Yeah, this is the last we see. This is the last last we know of these characters. So that cliffhanger where Gwen is like, "Well, I'm gonna have to go fight a god," and MJ is stuck on Earth six one six. That's the end. I'm so sad now. Yeah, it is sad. And I remember at the time thinking, like, they're going to announce a book any month now, right, as a follow-up to this specifically. I expected something to happen within the event, right, because the ending of number three here, where Gwen seems like she needs to go, she wants to go fight Null, right? She's got beef with Null, basically. Um, There's this thing which they keep coming back to where it's like, Null is trying to recruit her, Null is trying to, scratching at the back of her skull. You expect payoff with that. There isn't payoff in this miniseries, and you sort of get the feeling that from the end of this that like Gwen is then going to go out and go fight Noel, but it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's like I thought that since King and Black number five was delayed for a few weeks, it was because Ryan Stegman had to add more pages. I thought he could squeeze in Gwen and maybe by extension MJ in there just for a panel, even that spread where everyone's just charging forward, but. I think it would have looked awkward if Gwen's just carrying around MJ's body. I think the implication here is that Gwen is going to like find a safe place for MJ and then go fight Null. Um, I'll get you somewhere safe until I figure out what's wrong. But right now I'm needed elsewhere. Needs to figure out how to fight God. So the implication I think would be that like 
Gwen would drop MJ off somewhere and then like she would go join she earned a place on the big hero spread panels really I think it's a bit of a shame that she she was denied that um really it's just yeah yeah I'm thinking that the most plausible place for MJ to be dropped off would be Alchemax yeah possibly or just like you know I mean just a safe place with the heroes you know there's a couple of those oh yeah the Fantastic Four secret base yeah, the Fantastic Four secret base in the Tines is a few different spots where the heroes have sort of carved out sort of little little safe spots. I mean, there's um, is that one Stark place that War Machine is chilling in in the Spider Woman Tines. So yeah, like you know, I think it's doable. I don't think it would have taken a lot to just like provide a little just just to just to acknowledge the ending there somewhere. Just have Gwen show up somewhere fighting Noel and. And literally anything, just to... Because MJ is still going to 616, surely, right? Like, so, I don't know what's up with that. I feel like it would be really easy to explain in any follow-up thing just to say that, yeah, Null got defeated and they were able to go back home. But we haven't had that, so... No. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking if, hypothetically, if there's another book, it just picks up right where King and Black left off. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think I think, like, the longer it takes for them to release it it's gonna be harder to do that it's probably just gonna be more along the lines of they'd end up doing a time jump and sorts uh, so yeah like it's it's a strange place to leave the book and really sort of odd decision making because like the i went into this book thinking this is their chance to try and wrap up because we spent a lot of time in the last episode talking about different arcs plot threads etc characters that had been left unfinished from the original run i looked at this and i thought oh are they going to take some time to maybe wrap some of those up right to go back to those arcs but they didn't and instead they created like two or three new ones out of this basically which is not fun really uh, at all i think there was another way of doing that and and clearly i think they, they obviously had more plans that they just didn't do um that you know a, a, another book or plans to be put into a different book than a Gwen 65 title got killed at some point, but they didn't change the ending here. So it's it's been left on a cliffhanger. Um, or there was some kind of miscommunication between editors, like uh, maybe Gwen should have shown up on one of those uh, hero spreads. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't happen. Like Clearly, the memo that Sean and Maguire got was different than the one the other writers got in terms of where Gwen would be in this event. But I think in fairness, there were some other people announcing that they would take the fight, but they never showed up. For example, Scream, she said that she figured it out one of Null's weaknesses, but then she doesn't show up at number five. Is she not in like the double page spreads? Nope. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, so it's, it's little things like that. I, I think Absolute Carnage, there was some really egregious examples of Tyans just not properly communicating with what was going on in the, in the event. Um, there was that miles morales tie-in which ends with him gaining control over and mastery over the the carnage symbiote that he's stuck with and um then when he shows up again in the main line it's 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 reconsumed him like that it's just sort of ignored the ending there that could have just been explained as a relapse off screen maybe but it sort of like it sort of defeats the purpose narratively speaking to to, to have a whole mini series about miles morales coming to sort of master a symbiote to then when they bring him back into the main line to just not do that. And they gave him a whole new design for it and everything. It was, I think it was a real shame. But at least with the ending of Absolute Carnage, all of the tie-in people actually showed up as Cloak and Dagger's reinforcements. 
Right. Yes, that's that's what I was thinking of. Screams in that group, right? Yeah. Right. So yeah, like I thought Gwen should have had an equivalent thing where she got to show up with the group there. So yeah, like I do. I, it's not an uncommon thing to happen. Uh, where there'll be a slight miscommunication or a change of plans somewhere, and not not everybody ends up on the same page, literally in some cases. But yeah, it does it does feel like a shame that just sort of like yeah, like I remember coming away from number three thinking, oh, it's sort of they haven't touched any of these things from Earth sixty five, which have just sort of been left standing, and they've added new things to it. Like um, just a couple of points to bring out from this. Like one of the main issues that um, MJ has with Gwen, which I would say is a really good point. Because clearly she's been kidnapped by the Jackal, right? The Jackal 616 has kidnapped MJ. He's done this science experiment on her that ended up with her being dragged through the multiverse to Gwen. Now, Gwen essentially set that up to happen, right? Like, she brought the Jackal 616 into Earth-65 and then left. So her close friends and allies in the Mary Janes have apparently been kidnapped by the Jackal. Of being experimented on by him and you know that's on gwen i feel like that's a fair criticism of gwen she did leave yeah she could have at least hunted down the jackal before going into exile but now she just decides to up and leave because of the storms right and and i don't know maybe she misguidedly thought the storms would protect earth 65 from people such as the jackal but evidently not effectively if they did at all so i think that's a legitimate beef that mj has with gwen there but besides that point that does mean that technically speaking glory and betty are also still kidnapped right they're still yeah we're not sure if they're holed up in that barn somewhere if they escaped or if they've been experimented on already we don't know right yeah so like the band is kidnapped presumably if they're going after people close to gwen then captain stacy could be under threat i don't know like but the implication you get is that things have gotten worse on earth 65 there is at least a dire situation with the band so that is a new thing which has been left dangling by the fact that there's been no ghost spider comics the gwen has left earth 65 the band has been kidnapped and experimented on and in this book that is not resolved Two members of the band remain on the 65 and presumably still in the Jackal's clutches. Which is, you know, that's a big elephant in the room. Well, not probably the biggest, but it's still an elephant in the room. Yeah, so so on top of MJ and Gwen being stuck on Earth-616, you have the other half of the band stuck on Earth-65 in the Jackal's clutches. And the Jackal is, is still active, still roaming, still doing things. Uh, which we clarified last week was was a was a plot thread that that we knew was we knew was left uncomplete from Ghost Spider number five even so that's from like two episodes ago so yeah it's I thought that was a a not great situation so yeah like not not to be a downer but like to say nothing of the quality of the story or the art or whatever here but it sort of dug the hole deeper for the uh, Ghost Spider doesn't have any comics and has all these storylines left and finished situation. It's a bit dire, really. And I remember just number three ending and thinking, that just can't be where they're leaving it. They've got to have something else in the pipeline which picks this up. Even just a side, like a B-plot, an Amazing Spider-Man or some other comics on Earth-616 could have picked this up for a couple of issues and, and sort of sorted it. But yeah, we've not even had that. So it's like, just what's up with that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, which is why we're we're keeping in mind that King and Black Gwenum versus Carnage, it was announced a year ago to the month, and we're convinced that maybe this month there might be something new announced for Gwen because it has been a year since that announcement. 
Yeah, I think it's um uh, yeah, again, I, I think it's you know, it's on the books that there could be another Gwen comic and, and I really do hope if one does come along that it takes a look at Gwen versus Carnage and at least acknowledges what's gone on with MJ and the whole situation there. I think it would make sense if Gwen has been stuck on Earth six one six for this whole time. But if MJ has as well, they haven't really gotten into what she thinks of that and her Carnage situation. And and if they ever do return to Earth sixty five, which I hope they do, they have a very long list of, of things to look at and, and potentially work through or sort of gloss over, I don't know. But yeah, it's one of those things. Yes. Yeah. I think um, before we move on to our overall thoughts about the characters and the the arc in general, let's go take a look at the Stacey Swear Jar, which is going to be the last of it that we're going to see for a while. This is, yeah, I'm actually, I'm glad to see it return to this book. I was pleased that we had that. So in the entirety of this mini, Gwen only cussed twice, which was just in issue number one. The first time she was like, what the fuck was that? When the civilian turned into one of Null's foot soldiers. That's how she reacted. And then after when MJ announced her rebirth as Carnage, Gwen's like, oh shit. Right, okay. Yeah, that's, um, I think there was a lot of reacting to stuff going horribly wrong in this, I think. <laughs> It is an it is an oh shit moment though in the in the first issue there with with MJ transforming though you have to admit like that page is I mean it's great I love it yeah that's a beautiful splash page and like even um her oh shit expression it could be said in any inflection because it could be like oh shit or oh shit right yeah there's a I think, I think yeah there's some interpretation there but yeah like one of the things that came through from this like because obviously we knew going in from the solicits that MJ was going to be Carnage. We'd seen the cover for number two and number three. We'd seen that MJ, but we hadn't seen this look. The design, I think the Ken Lashley Carnage look is good. Um, I, mm-hmm. I like it. I don't think it was done well by the poses they picked out for him to draw, but it's good look. I still have to point out that the uh, total of the swear jar is $43. It's 43. 43 out of like 60... 63 issues of Gwen. 63 issues. Yeah, that's uh, okay. Okay, I, f- I feel like the Maguire era lacked cursing, but it made up a little bit here with with these two issues. But yeah, I'm sad to see it go. It was it was where we lasted, where it lasted, and I think it was very very justified by the comic here in this moment. But yeah, like, I think um like one, I remember I remember one of the things because going in we'd seen we'd seen the Ken Lashley covers, we'd even seen the Flavion concept art, but that was sort of the final form of Carnage, which we see further down the line. We didn't see this version, like the initial phase of Mjarnage in this run where the symbiote hasn't like fully subsumed her face. It's sort of, it's like warped it. And also like one of the things which I don't think which comes through so much is, is just how monstrous she is like in terms of size, but it still looks like it's her arms and skin and stuff. Uh, it's, I don't It looks like her whole body has been like contorted and her face has been contorted and like, but it, she has a symbiote tongue and teeth and it's just it's the most unhinged looking page and i had no expectation of it coming so sort of it ended up look like that and it coming to look that bad and so when i pressed the the right arrow key button to take me through to the next page of this comic and seeing that just 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 i thought about it for days afterwards just how just it, yeah it was it's something it's it's a really great splash page and we get the um we get the reflection of it from Gwen's perspective on the first page of the follow-up issue from the other angle, which I thought was quite good. And you get to see, yeah, you get to see Gwen's reaction fall there. 
and the rest of the Imjan is designed from a different angle. With going back to Ken Lashley's design, because I've always had the interpretation that his design was the sort of in-between stage from her first and second form just because half of her face is symbiote. Like, would you get that interpretation? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know if canonically there's any time for that, but but it definitely looks like it sort of lives in that space. I just think that, like... I yeah I wouldn't I wonder what concept stuff they gave him to work from because I don't think it was anything that we saw as you know the general reading public, but clearly they gave him like the stuff for the initial phase, um, and he's worked from that and done, and he's riffed on it a bit, and that's I think that's how he's landed there. Yeah, because I actually did meet Ken Lashley a few months ago at a signing at my LCS. Oh, very cool. And when I asked him about what's his approach to M. Jarnage, he said that when he got Flaviano's design sheets, he decided to um, yeah, get riffs from that, but also at the same time take matters into his own hands. So what he decided to do is um, do more wisping of the symbiote, extend the length of the claws, making one eye normal and the other eye symbiote make her look more crazed. Yeah, I, I remember looking at that and, and it does look, it does make the character look unhinged in its in its own way with, with having the sort of uneven eye combination. I will say this, I do like the style of the Ken Lashley covers. They sort of have a, they're a bit more realistic. I think, I think obviously because the covers, you can spend more time on them as an artist, making them more detailed. Um, and I do, lo- I love the way he does the symbiote stuff with Gwen's tongue just absolutely insane abstract looking tongue that looks completely chaotic just flicking flicking around her whenever she's in these fight scenes and and i love that i think i think these covers look really cool for sure but it was a shame that the cover for number two that wasn't the one that marvel wanted him to draw out for the final because it obscures m jarnage a lot with the angle of her pose and also the axe yeah, I mean, I mean, given that this was technically this solicit and cover was the reveal of of MJ going to be Carnage, it just seemed a bit underwhelming that they that they had the axe front and center before the actual character really. And the fact that the axe was like the one thing that didn't get lots of extra hyper real details makes it sort of stand out looking quite simple from the rest of the cover as well. Yeah, like I think um, it needed a bit more um, oomph the second cover, but I like the third one. And I, and I still like the second one overall. Like I like the style and I like the approach to the characters. And the first one though, I remember that the first one is always going to stick in my mind because that was like a big one, like announcing that this was coming and stuff. But when I first saw the announcement in my head, I was thinking, oh, is Gwen going to be fighting the Grendel? Because I'm just thinking, what beef does the Grendel have with Gwen? And then until I saw the announcement of the second issue. The, you, you mean the uh, Grendel piece... Uh, that became a carnage symbiote from absolute carnage yeah because that's the only carnage running around on earth 616 i'm thinking is gwen gonna have to fight the grendel and then when i saw number two i'm thinking um is mj gonna be bonded to the grendel until i saw the solicit for number three yeah i I remember i remember thinking something similar along along those lines because obviously we knew gwen has her own Earth-65 symbiote. But because all of this appeared to be happening on Earth-616, um, and that seemed to be the likely direction of things, it wouldn't really make sense for Null to be invading Earth-65 as well, right after Gwen has also left Earth-65. So it's this whole thing. So the expectation, I think, was maybe that MJ would end up bonding to an Earth-616 symbiote and being an Earth-616 sort of, like, obviously an Earth-65 character, but in the 616 symbiote suit, like you say. But they sort of found a way to sort of 
do both. <laughs> um, they sort of had their cake and ate it as well. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking that if she were bonded with the Grendel, would she have been much more murderous? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, she'd have had all of, all of Cletus's personality and all of that, like, in her head. Yeah. Yeah, well, either way, it seems like if you want to be accepted into Club Carnage, you got to be a redhead. Absolutely. I think that's a good, that's a good prerequisite there um, for, uh, for, for Carnage's. So, but yeah, actually the whole process where MJ becomes Carnage is kind of, is complicated. It makes sense, but like I saw a lot of people who had picked up this comic without having read prior Ghost Spider comics, and it must have seemed kind of out of nowhere. And because they don't really explain it later on, I wanted to clarify what's happening here is Gwen has a symbiote that is uniquely bonded to her. It has little spiders that occasionally branch off and get captured by supervillains. Like on Earth-65, it's happened a couple of times. So presumably that's what's happened there. They've collected some of them. But Gwen's gone and left and she's gone to a separate dimension. So when they tried to get these spiders, like they forced them to bond to MJ. Instead of it like making MJ a symbiote or whatever, it just drags her through the multiverse to meet up with Gwen. Don't you think that's interpretation of the spiders are calling itself back to its original owner and then it just dragged MJ along for the ride? I think that's what's happened, right? Like, because, because again, like Gwen's ability to traverse the multiverse, that's another thing which is unique to her physiology. So the spiders have, I don't know, like it's, it's really interesting, actually. I think it's an interesting expansion of how they work. The spiders themselves also have some ability to recognize that. And they were sort of able to get halfway there, right? So I, I presume for a while, right? Because it says not very long ago. So there's a time difference here. MJ is just essentially stuck in interdimensional limbo with these spiders just like looking for Gwen. And then when Gwen opens up her portal thing, it drags MJ through it. Instead of throwing her back out into Earth-65, it pulls MJ through into Earth-616. And, and they have this weird, abstract, psychedelic-looking... Uh, moment where they're both uh, where, where clearly like mj takes on some of that symbiote and stuff and then they both land in the goop and mj is vulnerable to it and so it's at that point that the 616 goop merges in with the earth 65 symbiote stuff and forms mj carnage that's how we got there that's how that's the it makes sense uh it just you just have to think about it for a few minutes i think <laughs> now if you think about it it really is something called a gestalt symbiote because essentially, yeah, it is a combination of the Clintar and Gwen symbiote, but it's mostly Clintar that absorbed Gwen symbiote. Um, I think the null part of it, the bit linking her into the hive mind and all of that, that's all null's bit. But I don't, yeah, like I, I wouldn't, I wonder if she would have been able to use any symbiote at all without that. Like that was enabling her to use the symbiote spiders. That without that. It wouldn't have worked properly. But at least um, this mini, it kind of answered the question I've been having for a long time. Can Null control symbiotes that are out of his jurisdiction? And the answer is kind of yes and no. Because the no part being he can't control anything that he didn't create. But he could if that quote unquote artificial symbiote has been amalgamated with one of his yeah, I think he would have been able to like nullify Gwen if she were willing. I think there is some connection there. Like it's not a complete break from the Earth sixty five symbiotes, right? Like uh, he can clearly 
influence them in some way. He's clearly having some kind of effect on Gwen and the repeated exposures to it. They change how her costume looks. They, yeah, like there's a few things going on there, right? Maybe if Null has some sort of influence over the moon spiders part. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just think you know, as a as a sort of symbiote cousin, right? Like he's still got some influence there, but obviously it's different if than if somebody gets exposed to normal Clintar six one six symbiote, right? Like when they get exposed to that, like it's a complete being subsumed by Null. Whereas here, he's sort of trying to convince Gwen a bit, like he's trying to be like, you know, if like come to the dark side, right? Like he's he's trying to Darth Vader it a bit. He's trying to corrupt Gwen instead of outright just mind controlling her like he's done with MJ. Not even MJ. I think MJ, there's a, well, I guess we'll get into that. No, no. MJ joined out of her own free will. Right. Uh, like sort of m- more of a mind control like he did for like uh, like Captain America and all of the other heroes that get nullified in the main event. But there's sort of the implication, right, that he wants to do more. So Gwen doesn't have very long exposures to this the 616 stuff um she doesn't have very long conversations with null i think that they were sort of warming up to another one maybe so like maybe prolonged exposure and all of that to the 616 stuff would allow null to get in there but it's never really um but yeah like i think it's possible i just think it's it's a lot lot more difficult logistically for null to pull off when it's an earth 65 symbiote anyway not unless if uh, the Clintar was bonded to that Earth-65 symbiote, he could just directly... Like, if Gwen absorbed a piece of a Clintar, then I think that's when uh, her connection to Null could get stronger. Yeah, no, that would make sense. But um, she she sort of actively resists that. Maybe that's part of what it was. Maybe, like, if Null successfully convinced her, he'd be like, here, have a bit of 616 symbiote. And maybe that's how that would work. But we, yeah, we never get that far, so... Should we uh, focus on our singular thoughts about like some of the characters, like um, elaborate more on Gwen? Yeah, like uh, so so there's a time jump here between this and Ghost Spider number ten. She's just been studying, right? Like aside from Last Remains, it seems that Gwen has just been mostly studying, and she's got roommates who are quickly uh, finished yeah, off. Like at like at first, I thought before remembering that the Stark internship not. No, the Stark scholarship gave her access to a dorm. I just thought she was crashing on somebody's couch. Yeah, no, yeah, she's got a spot. She's got a dorm. She's got roommates. She's got a whole sort of civilian life where nobody knows that she's Ghost Spider, or at least got superpowers. And 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 yeah, she's not having to. She's not. She's not destitute or anything. She's comfortable. And she doesn't have to crash on anybody's couch. So, yeah, she has. She has it worked out, at least in terms of like, this seems quite in line with what's sort of picking up quite well from Ghost Spider number 10 in that. And I think a lot of what Gwen versus Carnage sort of comes down to is is ultimately Gwen's failings to her friends from Ghost Spider number 10. Like, I think the narrative conclusion here is that it was a mistake for Gwen to leave and put her friends in danger. Uh, you know, it, it was it was a sort of... It is. It was a bad. It has had quite materially bad effects on them. Um, yeah, it's because remember when we touched upon this last week, how it seems like the multiverse is out to get Gwen for having her fail to make friends. Yeah, like and and also I think it does. It, it a lot of a lot of Ghost Spider comics is just Gwen not having just poorly looking after her friendships. And yeah, like it's not it's not just like her not being able to save her dorm mates friends from ESU but it's also like just the general failings for Gwen 
with MJ. Like even because obviously they retcon in some stuff here. They retcon in a couple of moments where Gwen is just super spacey, super out of it, and not communicating with MJ very well. Yeah, from MJ's perspective, it seems like Gwen's actually being a crappy friend to her by not listening. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and you know, I think there's a legitimate case there, and and certainly like real anger to be had that the jackal has gone after them and stuff, and and the things that she lists, like, and I thought this was a bit strange because the Peter Parker death comes up right now. Gwen did kill Peter Parker. That's canonical, and she also did kill Peter Parker because like she didn't really pull her punches with him, right? Like, she allowed herself to sort of act out of fear and anger and stuff. And that ultimately causes, sort of overdoes it for him, and he ends up dying from those injuries. Now, that is a mistake on her part. That, that's her great responsibility moment, really, at the end of the day. The sort of the, the, the flashback stuff from like the first arc of the Spider-Gwen on a going sort of fleshed out that. And obviously, like Gwen has moved on from that in in a lot of ways, and is sort of able to sort of deal with the guilt in more in more sort of practical ways, and and you know doesn't feel sort of the same amount of shame. She does have to sort of accept that you know Pete obviously did do bad stuff as well. But what comes through here, it seems really strange to me, is like she sort of doesn't really acknowledge that. Like when she defends herself, it's like oh, I had to do what I did. She didn't. The comics are very clear. She did not have to kill Pete. Yeah, her defense is that Peter was going to kill Harry, MJ, and the rest of their friends. Which he sort of, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was like, at least, at least after they've been fighting for a bit, you know, you can see those flashbacks where he's asking her to stop fighting. And I thought it was strange to have this in there. And also for MJ to be bringing it up specifically, because I mean, outside of it, you know, obviously being a thing, which is very important and emotionally resonant for Gwen, but for MJ specifically, we haven't actually seen MJ and Pete 65 interact really. So like, you know, it's, it's not like they were all part of the same friend group. It's always felt like Pete and Harry and Gwen and the Mary Janes and Gwen were sort of two different friendship groups for Gwen at different points in school. And it's sort of always been the general impression I've got from it and that there wasn't a huge amount of overlap between them. But yeah, like it has never been something that like MJ has held resentment for Gwen over as well. Pete dying specifically. The other stuff makes sense, like Gwen being flaky, Gwen leaving and, and sort of Gwen clashing with MJ for spotlight and all of that stuff. You know, there's there's a sort of consistent with their previous arguments and beef and stuff. But the stuff with Pete's death is just a, it's a whole new can of worms. And yeah, I don't know if that was done in a way that was accurate to to you know how that sort of went down in the comic originally i think the problem with it is it gets riffed on so much in a way where like gwen is completely exempt from any wrongdoing like it happens whenever they adapt it they always do it so that gwen is actually innocent the whole time but if you do read that that original comic gwen is guilty so you know um she's definitely guilty of of killing peter parker when he did not need to be killed so like that is a thing that she did and and yeah no i we've, we've spoken about it at length before on i think when we did those episodes those issues but yeah, like I, I really like how they set it up. Like I feel like if other than the Pete stuff, like I like I think if you were gonna believably get MJ sixty five to become Carnage, it would be this set of grievances. Um she has legitimate grievance with Gwen over the leaving, over the flakiness, over the sort of just generally being a very poorly communicative friend. And the fact that like she does have all of this power, but she's not used it to protect MJ very well, yeah. um, especially recently. Especially since looking back in the original Spider-Gwen run, 
or even in the uh, Ghost Spider run, Gwen's always neglecting her obligations with her friends and family to attend to her duties as Ghost Spider. And you know, she doesn't really think about how her friends or family are feeling. Yeah, and I, and I do think this is a problem with Gwen's comics is that she will pick fights with people who are then able to go and hurt her friends and family because she won't successfully beat these people. She does it with multiple different characters and it has you know, brought numerous, I say numerous, on at least a few occasions brought supervillains to her doorstep where they have confronted Captain Stacy or whoever. And so, yeah, like, I do think this is a general character failing for Gwen. And I don't think it's a bad one. I think it's very interesting that Gwen as a superhero can often be, like, just not competent. Like, I think that's fine. That's, a, that's an interesting character failing to explore. And I think this was a really fun way to explore it. Like, this miniseries is really good for that sort of stuff. Um, sort of M. Jarnage is the culmination I think, of a lot of different mistakes that Gwen has made. Historically, sort of coming home to roost all at once. And I think, yeah, it makes for a really good comic. But at least on the plus side in this story, Gwen gets to use her symbiote more. Like, for example, when she's inside the hive mind, how she uses her symbiote to form wings that she's never done before. Yeah, like she's got little little glide things. Yeah, it's just wings to glide because she can't form outright wings unless if she absorbed some of Null's Clintar because only his Clintar have the ability to form outright wings. Yeah, both MJ and Gwen are only able to web sling in this. They're not flying about. So even though they've both sort of interacted with the hive, they don't have the flying thing. But I bet MJ could have formed wings if she absorbed more Clintar or if she just concentrated enough. But there is one thing that M. Jarnish could do that Gwen couldn't just because she hasn't figured out how to, how to transmutate objects of her symbiote. Yeah, like I thought that was that was new. Is that is that a Clintar thing really, would you say? Or do you think that's more... I guess that is a bit more of a Clintar thing, but I'm thinking that with a Gwen symbiote, if she could concentrate enough, because like if she can form cloves with her symbiote, she could probably turn objects into other objects. Remember, she was expressing brief jealousy of not being able to form um, objects with her symbiote. Right, because I mean, obviously, like it spawns all the spiders. It, you know, like you say, it does clothes. And, you know, in her fights, she's got tendrils and, and like, we've mentioned the glide things, but a big, large physical object that she can hold, and it's just never, never anything on that scale. Yeah. Maybe if she met Eddie or Flash or anyone else, she could probably figure it out. Maybe. I think, um, yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how that works, because obviously, like, the way she currently uses the symbiote, she's, like, just on top of it with the nutrition and stuff. Would that impact? Would you have to treat it differently if, if she started doing even bigger things with it but anyway whether or not if she has a clintar or not i'm just trying to get around whether or not if she's actually part of the symbiote hive even though she got yeeted out would you say that she has like a, a very weak connection to the symbiote hive i'd say she knocked on the door uh she said hi and they said goodbye and then she left i think if she really wanted to she could probably do it but she obviously didn't want to, so it didn't happen. But yeah, I, th I think it was uh, it was interesting because while obviously Gwen is the, I mean, she actually even went, like I think M. Jarnage is stronger and bigger and able to do more things with her symbiote, and that sort of comes it sort of comes through uh, a lot in these panels. Like I think in in most of these fights here, Gwen is sort of generally unable to subdue M. Jarnage, 
and so has to rely on this other stuff to beat her. So like she does seem like she's on the back foot. And and a lot of that does seem like she's not in the hive mind like MJ is. Like uh, maybe if she if Gwen wanted to reconnect to the hive mind, it would still be a weak connection. Like didn't she say it would just be like a two G connection? Yeah, that's a good that's a good comparison. Yeah, um, like she can get in there, but she can't go beyond the hallway or something. Yeah, um, I, I thought that, but yeah, I, th- I think um, we haven't seen, really seen her try. We've seen how far she can get with Noel actively trying to pull her in to the hive, but actually Gwen herself is sort of rejected it outright. I'd be interested to see what would happen with the new status quo with the Brock controlled um, hive. How would Gwen be able to be influenced by and influence that? Because it's not evil anymore. Would she be more willing to sort of plug herself into that and see what happens? Or would we have a similar situation here? I, I think it's something which, which they were really setting up to be explored more, but didn't. So, yeah, I think it's a shame. Or even if, um, since Dark Carnage is starting his own hive, if Gwen somehow pops up on his radar. Yeah, I, I, I'd, yeah, I'd, be, I, I'd imagine it would go similarly to how this went if it was another evil symbiote person trying to get a, sort of come back in to, to some sort of hive there. Like, Gwen could possibly just have nightmares about Null, like, attempting to resurface and try to get her to join his hive. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of ways they could sort of have him sort of haunt her a bit, maybe. But yeah, I think like her sort of end point of this is that she is she doesn't want to shirk her responsibilities anymore, and she wants to fight, and she wants to sort of not leave her friends. Um, she recognizes that was wrong, and I think that's a nice, nice sort of character arc for this miniseries. And it's a shame that we just didn't get to see the practical application of that. And also see her sort of have that final moment with Noel, where she's able to reject him, or a moment with Eddie or Dylan, where she's able to sort of, on a more constructive basis, interact with the hive mind. But I think what they did here with Gwen's character and moving her to this place where she's keener to sort of take the fight and stick up for her friends, I think is good. I think that's a good character moment, good character choices. But we never get to see that addressed further. No, which is a real shame, I think. So, um, yeah, a little bit more about M. Jarnage. Like I told you a few months ago that um, being well-versed in Dragon Ball Z, that um, this whole mini, it plays out almost exactly like the Majin Vegeta saga. Oh, I, I've, uh, I've not seen that, I'm afraid. But if you watch the episodes... Like whenever you get the chance or whenever you want to, yet you will not be able to unsee the connection. Well, the sort of the um, was it is it using the same tropes? Yeah, the same tropes. You know, the jealous best friend slash rival who's always accusing the protagonist of one upping them, and then when they get the chance to get more power, they willingly embrace the evil. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I th- I think there's a lot of the. Uh... Yeah, it's got those sort of classic tropes going on here for sure. Yeah, especially, you know, since in this case, because MJ had like a lot, like on a scale of one to 10, I'm going to say 86 for that resentment towards Gwen. And that's why she agreed to serve Null out of her own free will. Yeah, I, I and I, I do think sort of, I think they spend just as much time with Gwen and MJ fighting as they do with this sort of sequence where they, or having MJ explain rather why she is upset with Gwen. And I think it's just, it's the 
breakdown in communication. It's like being abandoned, and then particularly suffering at the hands of supervillains that are trying to get Gwen, that she is left running about. And I, you sort of understand why Gwen did what she did, right? Like, I don't think what she did was the result of disordered thinking or like being irrational or anything. Like, you understand why Gwen left. It's not, it's not something that's nonsensical. It's obviously the case against it here. But at the same time, you understand where MJ's coming from. And she's clearly come, like, she's she's clearly gone right from suffering quite a bit to being given huge amounts of power in a very, very short space of time. And And I would say that, that obviously, and as, and with the sort of the, the emotion amplification stuff of the Earth-65 symbiotes and Null's prodding, that really, it's not a very big leap to imagine that she would be angry at Gwen and physically aggressive towards Gwen and stuff. And, and we see that in this arc here. And I think that's um, the right sort of pathos. They, they sort of went the right direction with it. I don't think this resets the character in any way. I think it's more, it's it's less about regressing MJ to like, because obviously she's had angrier periods in the past or or times where she's um, not communicated as well with Gwen. But I think this is more on Gwen. It's more about their relationship. Yeah. And this is made even more apparent in the Maguire era, MJ's anger towards Gwen. And then this is just finally the culmination of all that anger. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's... um. Yeah, and it feels it feels better reasoned out here, I think, than it did in some of the earlier stuff. Like it feels like there's a very like you understand where MJ's coming from. Like and, and there's a point where Gwen says the same, like, like I don't think what she's saying is wrong or these feelings are wrong. It's just that, you know, I, she can't kill people. <laughs> no 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 killing. And then there's also the point where, you know, MJ's always been jealous of Gwen. Yeah, no, that does come through. Um, I, I think uh, I've seen some people get really hung up on these panels where, where MJ says clear, like, jealous, jealousy-fueled stuff. Um, I don't think... Um... I think in Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider number eight, she was like, show off if I had superpowers. Right, exactly. I think some people, uh, and even from, like, this arc, people will take one out of context where, like, MJ's saying something to the effect of, like... Um, you know, you just wanted to be the front woman and say, well, you know, well, this is a terrible reason for her to become a supervillain. And I feel like it's merely just more sort of icing on top of the much more substantial reasons that she's becoming John Inch. Like, obviously, there's there's the standard stuff about ego. Um, and, and at the point where you distrust a person, then, you know, you do end up saying stuff like that, I think, like, you know, if that's sort of the case that things are going in. But I don't think that was the casus belly, as it were, for the MJ's war on Gwen here. I think it does. It comes down to the abandoning. It comes down to the miscommunication. That is characteristic for Gwen a lot of the time. Yeah, and even when M. Jarnage is trying to kill Gwen, did you get the implication that she did make some sarcastically flirtatious comments towards Gwen? Yeah, there's there's a, there's a couple of comments which are like, oh, I, are you still chasing me? I guess I'm really just that irresistible and stuff like that. Um, the one which really like sent me um, is from issue number three, where do you want me to do my Tara Strong impression? You can do a Tara Strong impression for it if you'd like. Like even though I'm not her, I'm still gonna try to do my best. Go for it. It's like, are you into being crushed? New fetish, right? It's. <laughs> It's absolutely insane to me that that made it into <laughs> into the comic here. And MJ switches between these sort of, uh, obviously the the sort of you abandoned me, you left me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, comments, it's just stuff about Null's glory. But then occasionally she'll just break out into like sarcastic, uh, more wry humor type comments, and it culminates in in that one about like 
Gwen being crushed. This 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 pun, um, and it's just it it it's, it's so out of left field. <laughs> M. Johnage is very very like this, and and I have to wonder like, are her and Glory okay? Are they like? Are they still, you know, and, and she's saying this stuff to Gwen. I mean, it seems uncool, MJ. I, I wouldn't, if I was to become a supervillain, it doesn't give me license to just be like that with other people if I was in a committed relationship. So, you know, like, it's one of those things. Um, but I'm just thinking, um, just because of those flirtatious comments, do you think she'd be, like, quippier than Cletus Cassidy? Because... You know, all Cletus does is just, you know, make some killer comments and then just end his sentences when talking to Eddie anyway. You know, he mockingly calls him daddy. Like, what if, what if M. Jarnage just calls Gwen mama? Oh, my days. Um, yeah, actually, I do think it, it does feel very Carnage-esque, right? Very, it's, it, it is something which Cletus does, I guess, where where he's he just won't really take the person he's fighting seriously at least he won't admit it out loud you know he, he sort of tries to make a joke of everything uh he sort of grins his way quite literally through all of it and yeah i do think they, they took that and applied that sort of kind of supervillain ego to mj as well which um yeah i think i think works it works well i think it, it makes sense for somebody who has the even when she's depowered the confidence and the sort of ego, I guess. Um, would you would you still be sent over the edge if M. Jarnage called Gwen Mama? Yeah, uh, that 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 would be that'd be that'd be another level. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that that'd be yeah, because you know technically it is an offshoot of Gwen Symbiote. So yeah, no, it it work it work. I've I've always found it funny how like hyper aware Cletus and Carnage have always been on like the familial re- relationships that, that that he has with other symbiotes. Like, cause cause Venom doesn't do that. Like, he doesn't call any of the Life Foundation symbiotes kids or whatever. And I think a lot of it comes down to is it's Carnage's way of making fun of the situation. And because um, obviously they're fighting and they don't really like each other very much but then to sort of invoke family in the middle of that is very funny so yeah i, I i've always i've always found that very amusing from from carnage's stuff and i also get the um the feeling like if mj and her symbiote i'm not sure if uh if their bond is by blood because that would sure explain why her symbiote is red um and that's also with you know cletus and his symbiote their bond is by blood I I don't I don't think it is. Um, I think I think maybe it's more just a stylistic choice. I think one of the things which comes through from Earth sixty five symbiotes is that they are less uniform than other symbiotes that we've seen across the board. I'd say Earth sixty five symbiotes are more sort of like we've seen what they've done to Wolverine makes them look like a samurai. We've seen what it does to Gwen; it makes it look like a masked punk rocker. And like that's the sort of that's what it does to people, right? Like it makes them look how they want it. Like they want it. Like if you know, if you know how they imagine they'd be. So that means MJ wanted to be a monster. I don't know. I think maybe there's a there's a slight, slightly different thing going on because obviously the six one six symbiote is at play somewhere, but just to the extent that there's clearly less, like her appearance is less symbiote looking than a lot of symbiote looking appearances can be right like clearly like a lot of her faces is intact uh she has like one of her she's sort of something that's influenced by that classic mj outfit from like her first appearance combined with like tiger stripes and stuff like i think that is clearly mj's stylistic preference coming through her hair gets bigger again i think that's her but then her face is just and obviously her silhouette and form is is much more monstrous and i think that's 
the influence of the anger and also the 616 symbiote stuff. But by and large, I think the red is again, I think that's just another stylistic choice from MJ's subconscious. But remember that time that I drew her, what it would look like if she did have a final form, that of Devil Carnage? I do. That was very, very cool. That was very, very cool. Yeah, because, you know, but the only difference is that she doesn't have an exposed spine because for one thing, she's not dead. No, no. Uh, you know, she doesn't she doesn't have that look specifically uh, here. No, in fact, you, you see a lot of her normal looking parts you know, like her hands and arms, but they've just been contorted in this, which I thought was quite spooky, actually. <laughs> but do you think that she would ever assume the devil form if she decides to one day just absorb other Clintar or codices or she suddenly just wants to look that way and changes her appearance to look like that? Maybe, but like I think, I think the reason that Carnage ended up doing that was because he became the principal enforcer of Noel, right? Like he became the main dude. So he was absorbing all of, so he, like you say, he's absorbing all the codices. I think it'd have to be a character thing for MJ for her to decide to become that for Noel, which I don't, I don't know if she's in that headspace. I don't know if she's going to take on all of the Noel stuff. She doesn't have the logo even, does she? No, like on her forehead, no. And I was also confused about the bridge between two and three. She says that she's just going to kill some people. We thought that she was going to show up in the main book just to do that. And then over in number three, she just decides to abandon the murder and just, quote, recruit people for her band. Yeah, actually Gwen notices this, right, where... Uh, at some point after these conversations and this pursuit through the city, MJ's switched up her plans from killing people for Noel to doing a big symbiote super set over at Madison Square Garden. And yeah. Um, yeah, maybe the mind space was just maybe instead of killing these people, just put them to good use. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't think MJ, because, you know, you've mentioned it. MJ is really like fully seeded the whole... I want to murder thing to Noel. Like, I don't think she's fully ceded control to Noel. No, she just agreed to serve him. Yeah, like, she's she's done the transformations, she's got the cool new outfit, job title, and everything. And then she actually looks at the job description, um, and she goes, mm, I'm going to prioritize some other stuff first. And I think that's sort of the thing which has happened there. Um, and Gwen notices the contradiction from when she said, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill people, to actually, I'm going to have a band instead and convert some people into into Norse soldiers, which was, I think, as close as she got to actually hurting anybody, really, in this, other than Gwen. I think this would be a right time to uh, mention my Claim McLeod Chapman agenda for M. Jarnage, which is the most appropriate. Oh, yeah, she is super creepy in this. Yeah, so your Chapman written... Yeah, my Chapman agenda is completed with M. Jarnage as villain number four of a horror-themed ghost spider book. That would be very cool. I'd like to see that. And yeah, like, especially in number... Uh, well, I mean, just generally speaking with that initial design, but then there's that one scene where she's, like, hunting people down with her tongue in <laughs> number three, which is... Yeah. Like, isn't that tongue just supposed to be evocative of Gwen's symbiote? It is, right? Like, they looked at Gwen's design and they went, okay, so Gwen has this just absolutely, completely oversized tongue in her Gwenum look. And for Gwen, like, the end of the Gwenum mouth is like, it's like a seam that runs down her front, like, on her jacket. So it comes off at, like, her midriff or her waist or wherever. Or even so it's, like, on her thigh sometimes I've seen. 
Now, they clearly wanted to have the tongue for MJ, but instead of doing anything like that with it, they just had it come out of her mouth. So the whole time she's got this massive quantum length tongue coming out of a regular Clintar mouth that's just lolling about this whole time. It's just and and she's supposedly speaking with it. <laughs> I'm just wondering if this was animated, like would the tongue still be dangling out whenever she speaks, or would it just come out after every time she completes a sentence? I, I think this is one of those things that they can do in a comic book and it doesn't look so silly, but the moment if they did try and do anything where it was moving like in live action or animation, it would look very strange. That yeah, I don't I don't know if yeah, it, it, I don't think it'd work in live at live action animation. I think it works fine in this comic. I think it's a really good design. Um I have noticed that I think the axe has a tongue of its own. Oh no, that's just M. Jarnage projecting tendrils from the axe. Right, like it, it look, yeah, it look, it's got its own sort of functions similarly. But I'm kind of surprised that you know Gwen didn't think about you know when attempting to fight M. Jarnage, just as a low blow, grabbing her tongue instead. Yeah, like I feel like there was a couple of opportunities for that maybe, but we didn't um didn't see that happen. Because the only thing that's remember that scene where everyone online. They thought it looked like it suspiciously looked like scissoring. Where like Gwen's restraining MJ. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, they, they definitely have some restraint moments between the two of them. Yep. I could see how people could take that out of context. They definitely get close and personal in this. Like I guess that's um I guess it's the best Flaviano could do because there's not many non-intimate ways to uh, restrain a person's legs with your own legs. I do think that's how that move looks. I I do think that's how you you would keep someone on the floor is that's that you yeah, I'm looking at the panel now and I see how people are saying but also like that is that is what that would look like in real life if you pin someone to the ground by their legs you do that. You sort of yeah. But no, it's not scissoring. No. It just looks like it, but no, it's not. Right. So there's sort of two phases to the MJ carnage look, right? Which uh, it's just to change up the topic here. So there's sort of the two phases. You have the initial phase where it's more sort of her face and head that's been contorted. And then Gwen tries this sort of appeal to her better nature and is like, by the way, if you keep the symbiote on you, it's it's like toxic. It's going to kill you. And MJ has this moment where she's like in denial about it for a second. She panics and her normal face sort of comes through. Uh, it a little bit and then and then all of a sudden like she denies it and the symbiote like fully covers her head and face and she has a much more traditional like what you'd expect from a a traditional carnage look or even more general symbiote look with the eyes and the really big maw and stuff so that's sort of the two phases it comes in throughout the comic unless if you want to count the in-between stage that's what i'm calling it of ken lashley's design yeah, and there's there's also Ken Lashley's design. I'm sure if this character ever gets used again with the with the Carnage symbiote, that there'll be like another look they'll go with it. But but the sense you get is it's quite fluid, which I thought was quite interesting. And um, really the uh, that sort of that whole look really, I think I think it works. I think the the second phase looks cooler. Like I think it's a cooler looking design. But the initial one is just so much more monstrous and scary that I think it hits harder. Like, And also it's reminding you that it's MJ in there much more viscerally than the fully subsumed look that we see for her. So that's sort of how I've seen the two phases there. But would you imagine MJ getting an upgraded form? 
Yeah, again, I, I can see them doing all kinds of stuff with it. Honestly, I, I, I'm surprised they didn't try and do anything new with Gwenum look particularly. I don't think there's anything to change. Um, I think the Gwenum look has always had the look like the hood is going to get bigger. Like, I guess her spikes on her shoulders could grow larger. Yeah, like even even the Ken Lashley look is more chaotic and more. Um, it's got a more edgier look to it that the sort of the softer Flaviana look doesn't go for really, which is fine. I think it's a stylistic choice. I think it's fine. Like I think Gwenum looks great in this, but I'm surprised they didn't they didn't do anything new with it because because obviously like it does look and um, it's something which comes through at a couple of moments. You can you can see um, in the original Gwenum arc, you can see a moment where the hood it gets more aggressive when Gwen is more aggressive. I've actually seen some art from Robbie Rodriguez that he's done of Gwenham since, and he has done stuff where the hood, again, is one of the things which gets more monstrous and stuff. So, like, I don't... Yeah, I get, I, I'm sure there's different places they can take it. It's a very rigged design. It's my favorite design for Gwen. Um, so I'm not, like, saying I'm dissatisfied with it, and I like how it's used in this. But, yeah, honestly, these are very fluid-looking designs, and I think especially for Earth-65 characters... Uh, at 65 symbiote sorry you have this thing where they change their look quite easily um and in a way which isn't as fixed as like venom 616 you know but i think in mj's case you know since her symbiote no longer has gwen's portion i'm thinking it's all clintar now so it, it could go any which way i think it's ambiguous i think it really depends on what the writer does with it the way it ended right was gwen used her earth 65 component she regained influence over that with the music, right? Because it's still technically bonded to Gwen over MJ. She was able to influence it and get it to purge MJonage of the Earth 616 symbiote, right? Enough that Gwen was able to break through to MJ and get her to shed the whole symbiote. Now, or rather, un- until the symbiote just dropped off of its own sort of accord, like it became useless. Now, whatever's left there is clearly able to contact the hive. I don't know if that means that there's no Earth-65 symbiote there or no Earth-616 symbiote or if it's a combination of both of them, but I, I think it's entirely open. Because if it's a combination, wouldn't it be ironic that the Clintar portion is what's keeping MJ alive just because of its regenerative properties? Yeah, I mean, that, that could be an explanation. There's nothing to say that. And like the, the presumption here from Gwen and from, from MJ is that if MJ stays bonded to this symbiote, that it will kill her because it is, it is toxic because Earth-65 symbiotes are toxic. And MJ doesn't really counter this. The narrative doesn't really counter this. So it's like, I presume that to be the sort of the true, <laughs> the true sort of thing here. I don't, I don't know if an Earth-616 symbiote would be able to stop that if it had combined with the Earth-65 symbiote. I don't know if it would be able to regenerate away the toxicity of Earth-65 symbiotes. Because, yeah, when MJ finally came to her senses, she was like, and this is the line that sent me, I don't feel so good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm just thinking, that's too soon. That's rubbing salt in the wound. Yeah, uh, the the yeah. I I mean, I don't feel so good. Is is pretty, pretty classic transformation line from sci-fi stuff, though, isn't it? Like that's that's in all of these kinds of sequences where somebody goes, "Oh, I don't feel so good," and then they get turned into a monster or they pass out in some kind of thing. Whatever. I I, I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty classic line that one. Made popular by Peter Parker in Infinity War. I mean, I mean, sure, sure. Um, yeah. It's been memed a lot, that scene, so... Except, you know, instead of saying Mr. Stark, MJ just says Gwen. Right. Um, yeah, it's... I think it's um, it's it's an interesting place to leave that character. I do think it's something... That clearly, they, they want they wanted to leave it open for more MJ stuff, right? Yeah. I would wonder, now sort of 
having come away from the emotion of it, if MJ became Carnage again, what kind of issues, you know, how evil would she be, right? Because obviously she'd be decoupled from Null now as well. Yeah, but at the same time, she liked being evil. So we don't know if in the future, if this is because she wants to carry on Null's legacy or just being evil just for the sake of being evil. Yeah, maybe I, I could see her like being a villain and an antagonist insofar as that she wants to defeat or capture or imprison or kill Gwen or Ghost Spider or the Venom 65 symbiote, at least. Having a specific beef with Gwen, I think, makes sense. They've set that up and set up you know, enough of a reason for her to sort of get angry at Gwen. I would find it harder to believe that MJ had suddenly decided to be evil on a more broader scale, especially in a post-null environment. I think maybe what we could see is like, like MJ trying to sort of continue with her life, knowing that she's got this Carnage symbiote, and then like her using it in small ways to sort of, I don't know, like boost her band playing or whatever, and it, it, like tripping out on the power and sort of disassociating from humanity or whatever, I don't know. Because remember, if she does get planted back into Earth-65 with the symbiote along for the ride, since she is bringing back a Clintar to an Earth that doesn't have one and builds her own hive, hypothetically, her symbiote is technically considered an invasive species. That's just what I learned in like grade 8 biology. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, although I do think that thematically, if they decided to bring MJ-65 to Earth-65 and have her have the Carnage symbiote again, they'd probably just make it full, full, full symbiote 65, you know? But I think if she wanted to build her own hive, it would just be because of ego. Yeah, I think they could, they could still do that. You know, uh, I'd be interested to see how they would do that within an Earth-65 context, because obviously, like... Gwen was able to exercise influence there over the Carnage symbiote. So, you know, how would that look at scale? And remember, this isn't the first time that canonically that MJ has been a Carnage. She's been one in the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like the first time they've done it proper, right? Yeah, they first turned her into Carnage Queen, and then a couple of episodes later, they turned her into Spider-Woman. Right, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, that was... That was interesting. That was an interesting way of going about it. And I guess they could do something similar here if they wanted MJ to become a superhero or whatever. They could do a similar thing. Um, and plus my joke would be, you know, since Cletus Cassidy wasn't in that show for obvious reasons, they just got the next redhead who's available to be Carnage. Yeah, I guess they did. I do remember in like Ultimate Spider-Man, even Pete was Carnage for a short stint as well, though, wasn't he? Yeah, just for one episode all the way back in season two. Yeah, I remember that was a strange way of doing Carnage that. But yeah, like I thought Mary Jane's Carnage made sense. And I thought this was, um, they made this a nice close personal fight between MJ and Gwen, which I think is what it should have always been. And it really works on that front. In my opinion, I, I really enjoyed the dynamic between the two. I think each of their rationales made sense. And yeah, like I think there's a lot that they built on from previous stuff here and there's a lot that really wants to be built upon by future stuff um hopefully we'll get it um i would like to see a follow-up thing where they either reconcile or they fall out altogether um and this is completely devoid of mj becoming carnage again just mj and gwen normally because at this point their friendship is pretty much destroyed yeah and also the thing that they don't really highlight is to what extent was mj65 conscious during her time as carnage because obviously she willingly accepts that power but like once it leaves her right 
she sort of seems kind of out of it. She she doesn't seem like she really knows what's going on. So like, will she just sort of black out from all of what's happened here? Will this be like something that's repressed in her subconscious? Maybe something that would have convinced me like as the symbiote started to separate from her. If she was like, um, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. Yeah, I think like, because it did seem for a while there that like this was very much MJ exercising her agency, but they haven't done that here. Because remember when uh, her symbiote was in the process of destabilizing once she realized what Gwen was doing to her, she just started to attack her again? Yeah, she reacted negatively. Like, she didn't act like, oh, I'm free. Um, So yeah, I do think I prefer the reading of this, that this is something that MJ is willingly taken a part in. This is her exercising her agency. Obviously, there's some exacerbating factors, such as the recent kidnapping and being held hostage and experimented on by jackal and being stuck in the interdimensional rift between earth 616 and 65 and Noel and the symbiote amplifying her emotions all of that obviously but her base sort of decision making is her own and not the puppeteering of anybody else i think that's important for this character that i prefer that reading speaking of uh, puppeteering even though he didn't really do it per se we still need to talk about Null. Yeah, um, he's here and he clearly wants Gwen because he doesn't control Gwen. And it sort of makes sense because even at this point, he has like most of the superheroes and, and even a bunch and supervillains and stuff. All of them have been nullified, right? I say all of them, like a bunch of them have been nullified, right? So like the expectation is that, you know, Gwen, who's in something that's like a symbiote, would be super down to become nullified, but it doesn't happen. And in fact, I think it gives her um, some amount of resistance to the normal nullification that happens, right? Like if a regular person had been thrust into the 616 symbiote goo, they would have been nullified, but he's frustrated that Gwen hadn't been. And so he sort of, he tasks MJ with bringing her in basically, at least for the first couple of issues until MJ sort of kind of deviates a bit. So yeah. Because his words, when he took notice of Gwen's symbiote, he's like, and this is just going to be me doing my Corey Burton impression, because that's the voice I have in mind for Null. Right. Because he's like, interesting. What are you, little light? Mine, but not mine. Something else. Something other. Something like me. Everything is mine, and now I shall acquire it. Right, yeah, exactly. So he's keen, you know, He's it's, for him it's all about control. And yeah, nice impression, so. Like, my voice can't go that deep, but if you hear Corey Burton in his uh, Dracula on the Avengers cartoons and in Ultimate Spider-Man and Hulk, that's the voice I have in mind for Null. Yeah, Null is, Null is very much a Dracula-type character, right? Like, he's, at least as far as Marvel's concerned. And then, you know, his reactions to, um... Because Gwen doesn't take him very seriously, because when Gwen asks who he is, he says that he's supposed to be her god because of the colors that she's wearing. But Gwen's practically like, who? Yeah, no, uh, Gwen obviously has authority issues. And, you know, rightfully so, I would argue. And yeah, she doesn't think much of... Of uh, she's she's obviously sees him as a threat and is angry with him, etc. But like doesn't doesn't afford him that respect in conversation and dialogue, which I thought was you know quite apt and quite fun. I I, I enjoyed the little sequence where she she goes down to talk to him. That was quite fun. She even called him the Goth King from space. Yeah, yeah. Which sort of I feel like uh, that would 
line up with the sort of the vibe there because because obviously Null is is completely new to Gwen. Nobody's giving Gwen the memo on what's happening with X Y Z Marvel event happening. So she's she, it would make sense that she has to sit there and work out at face value what is happening around her. So having those little quippy comments, I think, really fits. And then about Null himself, there's just this one panel that kind of looks like it's cursed, where it looks like, because you know how he's supposed to have solid red eyes? Yes. Now it just it looks like that he just has red irises and then human-looking teeth. I, like, that's, that's a cursed image. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've seen, uh, you know, I, I remember seeing that because it's actually, it's not uniform with the way that, uh, Null is drawn in the rest of that sequence. He has solid red eyes in the other panels and his, his teeth look different as well in them. So like, it seems like for a single panel, they sort of just botched it a little bit. That isn't representative of the rest of what Iguara did here. It looked different. Even though it's just one flub, I kind of consider it like a cursed image. Yeah, I remember seeing it get passed around in the sort of the Venom circles as a sort of really bad example of of Null art, uh, which is, I think, is I think fair probably to be honest. But with the fact that Null had access to MJ's memories, is that just something that he could do with everyone? Because, well, back in Venom, it does certainly seem so. Yeah, no, I think he's got the whole person's mind. I think he's got all the memories, all their skills, and all of their sort of thoughts. They're all his. Um, so yeah, I think it lines up. So it's like he's just looking in his files and then he just pulls out MJ's bubble? Yeah, he's like, Siri gives uh, MJ's teen angst and has this whole exchange with Gwen. So it sort of, it works. I think it makes sense sort of like, and I think it's a, it's a good way of showing how the hive is for Gwen and, and MJ and such and how that would work at a sort of like, because obviously you don't see him like, explore individuals lives much he doesn't have much reason to do it across the board i think this is one of the few instances you actually get to see him do it and i think it's quite fun but following this event we all know that well null's dead physically but technically his legacy lives on within the evil symbiote so again like with m jarnage dark carnage and plague yeah i mean i'm, I'm sure if they want to bring in null again they'll probably do it that way i, I don't know if they'll do it immediately or with all and any evil symbiotes but certainly i think they'll, they'll probably want to do it in the future I, I i they've gotten so much mileage out of null in just three years that i can't imagine they'll they'll leave it there but then you know donny cates always cryptically tweets whenever someone asks him about uh, null's living status he says darkness never dies yeah i think i think he would though i mean because obviously he doesn't want his character to go away, does he? I mean, that's his legacy at Marvel, I think, is 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 probably going to be Venom and Null. At least like this new status quo for Venom and Null. But, you know, all in all, Null is just physically dead. Yeah. But his presence can still just be felt. Yeah, so I I think uh, anything new which explores these characters will probably do it through the context of Null has been defeated. And, you know, what does that mean for the pull that Gwen felt? What does that mean for to the things that MJ did under his influence um, and, you know, exploring their agency a little bit there, I, I think. Because he, he does have a sort of corrupting effect on the yeah. two throughout this miniseries, doesn't he? And I'm just thinking since Eddie's the new king in black right now and because MJ was under Null's jurisdiction, would she just fall under Eddie's jurisdiction or just break off from him completely? Um, I think it'd be... I guess it depend. It really depend on how much like what MJ would want uh, would align with what like the Brock Hive wants, you know. 
I don't think she's going to listen to Eddie. I, I don't think so either. I think Eddie probably isn't going to be as keen to power uh, up as much as Noel was. There's also the point that, you know, Eddie's busy playing God, so he can't know every single thing that's going on around Earth 616. Yeah, I mean, evidently after like the extreme carnage stuff, he doesn't, right? Like he's not fully aware of everything, right? No, because Extreme Carnage, it's practically Andy's story. I guess we'll see. Once the Ewing and Ram V run starts, we'll, we'll actually get to see to what extent uh, Brock is able to manage and channel and micromanage in particular stuff happening within the Hive. But we yet to get to that point. But I did have a funny situation in mind where that period that Eddie was dead, living as a codex in the Hive, trying to get back to the real world... If he just ran into MJ in the hive asking, MJ, what are you doing here? Peter didn't say anything about. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine him getting confused. But like, also, if he's able to like access her mind to some extent, he'd know, right? I think back in 200, it's been stated that Eddie can remote control the symbiotes that are left over if they give him his permission. Well, that's a nice, it's a nice arrangement. Um, it's, uh, it's very respectful. So yeah, then that means like M. Jarnish can just uh, run around wherever she wants. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. There's also the Jackal, which we haven't gotten to in a while. Yeah, I mean, we, we touched a bit on what he's done. Um, but also like this just sort of means, this this basically confirms, you know, he's still on Earth-65. He has the Mary Jane's kidnapped. We don't see him with Manwolf or the Storm siblings or anybody. He's sort of out doing his own thing in a very sort of secluded location so it's possible he's working on his own and uh yeah he still has to go in so i guess we'll see what happens with that but yeah it's sort of it's sort of just a confirmation that he still exists basically after the dog days are over arc where he didn't get that conclusion no but at least you know he did have a part to play in m Darnage being born yeah i thought i thought it was um I think it was very in character for this sort of iteration of the Jackal to be for him to be doing those kinds of experiments. And I think it was interesting that he picked MJ. I think that said a lot about MJ and Gwen's friendship and closeness. Because I think, you know, the best way to hurt someone is to target their best friend. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of... Because remember, Jackal attempted to take MJ hostage before she just elbowed him. Yeah, it's it's consistent with... With MJ and, and Jackal, really, I think, in that event, and just more broadly speaking. I'm probably thinking that that's what piqued his interest in selecting MJ to uh, bond with the offshoot. Yeah, yeah, it's um, that would make sense. But yeah, we don't get much of him. We only get that one panel, and we don't even get to see his uh, one page, even. We don't get to see his face. No, he's just all shrouded, but I think that's just to um add to the creepiness part. Oh yeah, he's super creepy. Especially the stuff he's doing. Very, very creepy person. No good. But um does that practically wrap up everything that we've had about this mini? Uh yeah, I, I did want to touch on and I know you noted it I know you've noted it here is the art. I think Flaviano is like if if I had to pick between Flaviano, Maizawa, Guara, Campe and Rodriguez who have been the artists on Gwen's mainline comic books, I'd pick Flaviano easily. Flaviano gets the look, he gets the feel. It can feel edgy when it needs to feel edgy, but it's also sort of, I don't know, it has the right cool vibe for Gwen and such. The character designs he came up with are just absolutely gorgeous for M. Jarnage. You know, I'd love to see him redesign every character in Earth-65 if he, if, he, if he keeps up that 
level um he, he yeah he really gets the look and the feel and it just it's it's a really pleasant and clean art style to look at as well um characters um there's there's a big emphasis on expression uh, especially within the body of the characters uh, especially with motion he's really good at doing the motion of characters and and making them feel expressive and dynamic uh just solid and and the sequences he does where it's like teleportation and transformation like he has this real psychedelic look he goes for and bringing rico renzi back for the colors as well again best colorist we've had on Gwen's comics but like just generally speaking he's a very very good colorist and he brings in the neons and he brings in all this sort of the bright edginess almost of, of it all and and yeah they, they, that is just it's a great creative team like Maguire and Flaviano and Renzi is is the dream creative team frankly like they are the like if I had to pick three I'd pick them you know and and I'm, I'm really sad that, that, that this team only got three issues ahead of basically Oh, but remember, this isn't Flaviano's first rodeo on a symbiote event book. Remember that he did Abscar and Lethal Protectors two years ago. Yeah, I'm not sure I've uh, I've read that, but like, um, if he 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 deserves work, Flaviano should get work. Really, he's done. Yeah, I've read Lethal Protectors. Yeah, he's pretty good in that too. Nice. Yeah. No, I I do I do think he should get. Yeah, I I I'm I'm sad he's not on an ongoing that I can read at the moment, at least as far as I'm aware, because it is such a great art style and and yeah no i could i could i could i could just have issue after issue after issue of, of stuff like this really um you know if, if if this book didn't have to end it would be perfect basically um, <laughs> in many ways at least oh maybe in a perfect world alas yeah so uh final opinions um i think that's a a good chunk of them uh that i just had there but um i think more broadly is this is a really good mini series i think um we have some of the best action from a Spider-Gwen comic. We have the best art, in my opinion, from a Spider-Gwen comic. We have MJ and Gwen finally sort of fleshed out in their relationship in a in a meaningful way and developed in a meaningful way. We have uh, really fun and dynamic stuff being done with the symbiotes of Earth-65 and um, a real sort of genuine attempt to explore, I think, Gwen's flaws as a person. And as a character, which I think is where Spider-Gwen comics are strongest and the way that Gwen has to sort of deal with the consequences of that and, and in particularly move on with those consequences. Yeah, like with my thoughts on this mini overall, I previously said that I'm, I was going to have a field day with this and I did mostly because I'm, you know, a symbiote stan. And then this was just my, you know, cream of the crop of a symbiote stuff. Because the title is literally Gwenum vs. Carnage. I'm expecting it to be a symbiote slugfest. And boy, it sure was. Because other than the uh, symbiote aspects of this, it kind of gives MJ and Gwen a chance to explore their friendship and how Gwen's really been neglectful of that. And then MJ's reacting violently to that just because she felt like that Gwen wasn't there for her. And her being over to the dark side, that was justified because she felt like that she was being neglected by Gwen. And in the past, it's been shown that she did have a lot of resentment towards her. Like, I even went on an Easter egg hunt during the Maguire arc where, like, because of that trope of superheroes and villains wearing in their civvies the clothes that evoke their outfits 
and I was trying to see if there was any instances where MJ was wearing a red and black combination, which I only saw twice. Okay, not too many then. They didn't really have that. No, but with the announcement of this book, I became convinced when I was looking back just to see if there was some sort of foreshadowing. Right, of course. Yeah, no, um, I think, yeah, Maguire must have wanted to do this, but I don't know if there's a huge amount of setup for it in her run prior to this point. And then there's also the reminder of, like I said before, this played out almost exactly like Dragon Ball Z's Majin Vegeta saga, in my opinion. So that was just another fun little thing for me. Nice. Yeah. I think it's it's a good, it's a very classic setup, I think, of having best friends turned enemies. I think that's a good trope. Yeah. But mostly for me, it's just because of the uh, symbiote action. Nice. Yeah. Symbiote stuff's great. Really great symbiotes are like very near and dear to me yeah they're your faves well technically on my top spot of favorite characters venom and gwen are number one on my list it's like they can try to duke it out to see who takes the top spot but no i just let them share it nice that makes sense did we already kind of share our possible theories about what a next run might be like um i don't know if i have too many uh really i don't know if i have have any theories about like complete theories i mean obviously we've we've spoken a lot about different plot lines they've they could pick up and what they could do with the characters um what sort of direction they could go and like i think the only theory that i mentioned was dropping m jarnage back on earth 65 just to start her own hive right right of course yeah no i'm i mean like personally i would like to see Again, like you say, more sort of exploration of symbiote stuff with regards to like Earth-65 symbiotes. But for Gwen to return to Earth-65 and to embark on some sort of redemptive liberation of it from Manwolf and the Jackal and the Storm siblings, who presumably have further entrenched themselves in the time that she's been gone, and maybe bring in some more of the stuff from Earth-65 that's been neglected a bit, like S.H.I.E.L.D. and Captain America. I'd like to see them sort of bring those in in the police state stuff again and have her fight the cops again. I, th- I think that would be a good move. Have have her become outlawed and, and stuff. That would be, I think, a good sort of new status quo for Gwen. Yeah, I think I'm also going to add in just essentially wrapping up every drop plot thread. That would be nice. That would be nice. I'd be interested to see how all of that would happen within the context of the fact that like, if she did really want to, she could probably bat phone a bunch of the Spider-Verse characters um, for help. So like, um, how would you create a status quo where you have all of this stuff and challenges that Gwen goes up against, but where she's not calling for people for help? Because obviously more so than the original Spider-Gwen run where she went it on her own, Gwen's become much more like tied in with everybody from Earth 616 and across the multiverse. So like, would she bring in people for help or would stuff happen that meant that she couldn't, etc.? Or maybe like not just even limited to spider people. Like, for example, if she wanted to deal with Sue and Johnny 65, she could just bring in Human Torch and Invisible Woman just to talk them down. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. Um, I mean, if, if they have time on their schedule, they could they could try that um so yeah um i think it should still happen within the context of the multiverse i don't think it should happen with gwen shutting herself off from it completely i don't think that's a good good way of getting around that i think that's just her loner attitude yeah i think um i think maybe maybe they could do that maybe they could have her 
you know, end up on bad terms with the spider people or something. I, I think that could be on the books. Um, like obviously set up scenarios for crossovers and tie-ins and stuff, but not in such a way where Gwen is essentially able to bring in Spider-Man Captain Universe every time that she comes up against a villain that's too difficult for her to fight, uh, which obviously hasn't been the case. Um, so I, 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 I'm not too worried about that, but basically like, you know, finding a nice sort of moderate sort of amount of Spider-Verse stuff. She hasn't been Captain Universe before, but like it would be nice because Peter's been one, Miles has been one, Eddie's recently been one. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's really getting passed around. So yeah, I mean I, I'm sure I'm sure it's a variant cover at least that'd be fun. Captain Universe Gwen. Um, Captain Gweniverse. Yeah, that name could work. Captain Gweniverse. Yeah, we could have Captain Gweniverse. And so long as no Marvel employees listen to this specific podcast, then that could happen. Like, unless if they already drew her out. Yeah, yeah. Then there's the whole thing where, like, the moment a Marvel writer hears your idea, then they are they are bound by like copyright law and stuff to credit you if they ever want to use that idea. So, <laughs> so you, basically, they just don't use ideas that they hear from random people if they're very specific, anyway. I don't think anyone's gonna bog us for Captain Gwenverse for a while. I don't. I don't think we'll. I, I, I could see that something like Marvel do, does, where they do um they do a Captain Universe series of variant covers, like they do for like Captain America or Venom or Carnage or Null. But since Captain Universe only shows up whenever there's a world-ending threat, like the God of Light only shows up once a year, so. Yeah, he's uh, it's it's not that's the thing which happens all the time, I guess. Oh, but before we go, since this has been Gwen vs. Carnage, I thought it'd be fun to uh, give a spoiler-free review about Venom Let There Be Carnage. Seems appropriate. Yeah, go for it. I, I haven't seen it. It's not out in the UK, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fade fade into the, the audience here. So yeah, Let There Be Carnage, it's world's amazing, probably even a lot more action-packed than the first one because, you know, in the first one, there's a lot of exposition. But in this one, you just get right into the action. Obviously, Carnage is in it, and as his name implies, that's what he spreads a lot of during the movie. There's also the consideration that the movie, this is a love story, essentially, between like not just Eddie and the symbiote, but also a love story between Carnage and Shriek because Shriek is in it too. And then basically without giving too much away, yeah, there's a lot of action. Like they, it's just nonstop, even though there might be a little bit of a breather in it. It's a whole bunch of symbiote goodness. Nice. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm quite pumped. Even with the short run time, I'm, yeah. But um, is that our show? I think that's our show. Thank you for your uh, review there at the end. I just can't wait until you see it and then we'll get to talk about it some more. Awesome. Thank you. No, I, I can't wait too. So um, next week, we're not looking at a comic. We've run out of Gwen 65 solo comics. So next week, we're going to do something different. We're going to interview Sean and Maguire, the writer for this era of Gwen 65, the writer of Gwen vs. Carnage, Ghost Spider, and Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider. Those sort of three titles we're interviewing that person and we're going to ask her questions about um, what it was like to write that, the different plot threads and her ideas and, and sort of, you know, all things Gwen 65 and writing comics and stuff. So if you have questions for Seanan, tweet us, uh, send us emails. If you want to know something specific and 
Yeah, shoot us a line on uh, at GS Crew Pieces, our Twitter. We'll have a tweet up about this. And uh, our email address is ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com. But yeah, we're going to be interviewing Sean and Maguire. Uh, it sort of doesn't feel real yet, but I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. And um, we'll still keep doing the podcast after this interview. We'll still keep reading comics and we'll discuss in the future about how we'll be doing that and what comics we'll be reading and stuff. But yeah, for now, Shauna Maguire, right? Like, yeah, we've been planning to get her for months. Yeah, like I think the we put the request in uh, more recently, but I think I think we we sort of there has been quite a neat idea to interview the writer once we've done all of their comics. I think that's a neat, and obviously we can't do that with the original creative team um, because they're not great. Maybe if they never did any of that stuff, we would have considered it. Maybe. Um, so um, we can do this with Sean Maguire, who is a non-problematic and good writer and g- generally uh, not terrible seeming person. We will we'll be getting to talk with next week, and that's something we're really looking forward to. And uh, yeah, we're pumped. So yeah, uh, any questions, please let us know. And normally I would say we'll put the links in the description on where to buy and read, but we're not buying and reading anything, but we are asking um, Sean and questions about her comic book. So yeah, she's, um, she's also written some like X-Men comics and stuff at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she's done some other licensed comics, um, but she's primarily a novelist. If you happen to be a fan of her books, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we'll, we'll take questions about that um, if you have them. Um, so yeah, that's that. Is that our show about Gwen versus Carnage? I guess it is. Uh, that that's that's run for a while. This is going to be one of our longest ones. Um, yeah, yeah, because we really did have a field day with this. We had a yeah, we had the the fieldest of field days, and. Um, I'm ready for bed now. It's been really good. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Abigail. It's been good. I'm Pax. And I've been Abigail. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.